Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast episode 102. As dedicated dancers, we all share a common goal to level up our dancing over time. This goal inspires us to take weekly classes, invest in private lessons, and attend workshops and festivals. And to make sure we don't forget what we learned and we can go back and practice, we record tons and tons of videos. How many videos do you have saved on your phone right now? How often have you reviewed them and extracted the golden nuggets that you learned from those classes? How often do you record yourself during a solo practice session or with a partner? If these questions are making you feel seen right now, I have the solution for you to organize your dance journey. The Dancers Training Journal 1.0, a Notion template to help you organize your dance videos and more. Notion is a cool and easy to use productivity app, and I've created a template for you that does the heavy lifting for you to have a system in place to organize all of your videos from your practices, private lessons, festivals, and more. To learn more about how to untap your dance potential with focus, accountability, and consistency with this dope resource, go to neokizomba.com slash templates. Again, neokizomba.com slash templates. Welcome to the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast, the podcast dedicated to inspiring dancers worldwide whose hearts have been touched by music and dance. The universal language of dance and music is spoken by many of us throughout the world. We want to motivate the dancer in you by sharing stories, insights, and ideas to enhance your journey. Join us now with your host, Charles Ogar. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast. Coming at you with another weekly episode. And today we have a very talented follow and dance member that we have in our community, especially on the Brazilian Zook side of things. We have, yes? And lead. (laughs) Lead and follow, correct. (laughs) We have Miss Shiny Mayor on the line. How are you doing? Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming onto the podcast. Um, we've known of each other and I mean, we met, I don't even remember when the first time it was that we met. Hmm. This, it's been some years. Do you remember? Many years. I don't know. I think mm-hmm. it was on the Kizomba side. Definitely. Definitely on the Kizomba side. If you guys are listening, uh, Shani used to dance Kizomba, but now she's def- just known for the, <laughs> the kids. I'm sorry, the Zook side of things now. In my past life as a kizomba dancer, mm-hmm. I don't remember when was the when last was time the you danced time. kizomba. Um, good question. Maybe <laughs> a year, maybe a year or and a half. Mm. No, a year, a year, a year. Yeah, was it in, in LA or at a festival or at a festival in Brazil? Was the last time in at uh, the Brazuca festival? There was mm. some kizomba dancing. Nice. That's awesome. I remember yeah. when I was at the uh, Canada Zoo Congress. I think that's probably the last time that we actually saw each other in person was yeah. in Canada Zoo in Toronto, Laura Riva's event. And I think we danced and we did a little bit of like Kizomba slash Zook or was it all Zook? I think we might have mixed Kizomba also. That's fun. Yes, for sure. Uh, the Urban Kids Zook vibe kind of thing. But uh, it's definitely good to have you on the show. And we'll talk a little bit about your dance journey and things of that nature. But um, before we dive into that, can you go ahead and like in a nutshell, let people know what you do in the dance scene for those people who might not have heard about you already? Um, well, I teach. Uh, I'm located in L.A. I mm-hmm. have a dance school in L.A. I have my, I mean, Zook school and Zook teams. And I have a mm-hmm. school in Sacramento as well and uh, many locations in LA and I teach at festivals and now I teach online, (laughs) organize Mm -hmm. the LA Zoo Festival 
mm-hmm. and uh, do some retreats. Yeah. Yeah. Weird I've to been seeing you yourself. do the. <laughs> It is interesting, yeah, because it has to be flexible into what the world is giving to you and where you can find some traction as an as an artist, you know. For sure, for sure, it's it's been a lot of movement this year of a, a lot of change. Mm-hmm. I've been seeing the videos that you've been posting from Mexico with like the cenotes and oh my god, the, all those kind of stuff. It looks really, really, really awesome to be a part of that. Yeah. Yes, definitely very necessary right now. Hmm. Okay, yeah. Shani. So let's go back in time a little bit. And I'm also curious about this myself, because even though I've known for about you and we've known each other uh, for a few years now, I don't know how you guys started in dance. Wow. So <laughs> in how, dance or in Zook? Uh, in dance. So let's go before Zook, because okay. I'm pretty sure you started dancing before you knew about Zook. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I started, I think, at around four years old. I started in uh, rhythmic gymnastics and ballet and jazz and all of that. And I was doing everything, every dance possible. I was doing tap, jazz, ballet, mm-hmm. I think all the way um, till the age of um, 12 or 13. And then I was doing like um, competitive gymnastics for a few years, doing competitions. Was this in California or this was in Israel. somewhere else? This okay. was in Israel. So you were um, born in Israel? Yeah. Born in Israel, started dancing at the age of zero, basically. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I I instantly loved it. And I I love, I'm a very like, I like moving like to the powerfully, I would say. So Mm -hmm. I really like stuff that would challenge me with high jumps and things that needed more power. And that's probably why Mm -hmm. I got into gymnastics later. I got you. And going back a little bit uh, to reflect on your childhood, did your parents also dance? Like, what was what was the draw for you as a four year old to want to dance in the first place? No one in my family dances. Always, everyone always thinks like, "How did you come out like this?" Because no one in my mm-hmm. family has anything to do with dance at all. So it's not definitely not something I observe. I don't mm. know why. I think I just loved it from the beginning. I think maybe I was put into something when I was young. And mm-hmm. I just loved it. And then I, I remember me pushing my parents to put me in things. No one mm-hmm. ever pushed me. I got you. And how was the culture in, in Israel? I'm not sure. It, was there a lot of dancing? Was there other friends that you made? Were there plenty of schools to go to versus? And I guess there's also a distinction between the gymnastics and then also like the dancing side of things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the culture, it was, it's very competitive. There's like a, a lot of the teachers and the coaches come from Russia, so it's very, very. <laughs> that was I was thinking about that. I wonder if there's like some overlap with the the Russian kind of like oh discipline, god. you know? Oh my god! I definitely got disciplined harshly and like very, very, very strict. I remember like people sitting on us and like breaking, basically breaking us into being flexible and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it was uh, it, it was a good experience because I learned discipline very early, like mm. the discipline of the arts very, very early. And I, I used to dance, I think, five, six hours a day. Oh, wow. That's so crazy. when I was getting to the competitive. So I was doing like they give you ballet classes and you're doing the competitions and you're you're training five, six hours a day every day, including weekends. Mm. So that was my life, I think, as a child. Mm-hmm. And how was your social life as a child? Was it really not that much to to say about friends and uh, birthdays no, and family friendly. gatherings? No, no, I did everything, but I cared about the dance more. So my mm. friends from the dance, and so I would I would gladly miss anything for dance if there was any competition. <laughs> but I was very also very social. So mm, yeah, nice. there, there were parties. Israel is very. Uh, big in like the social gatherings, especially when you're young. Mm, I got you. So on the competitive side of gymnastics, like how was that? Like, and I guess you, this is when you were in teenagers. Yeah. So like, obviously there's like school (laughs) and maybe there's like competition fees and, and things of that nature. Yeah. Yeah. It was tough. It was basically all about your life has to be about that. Hmm. And very, very strict, very, very, but I liked it. I remember enjoying, enjoying kind of like 
sometimes they treat you like do it just do it mm. <laughs> and i remember like it made me laugh I, I used to like how tough they were on us and it's i don't know it just it built me i i feel like it really built who i am mm. or who i was nice. in the in terms of discipline and like what what you need to do in order to be a, a good dancer mm. i think it really builds that in you because you you have to be all there and giving 120% every day. Mm. Even if you don't have no, no more strength, you have to just do it, you know? <laughs> and you. the team depends on you, you know? So you can't sure. just do whatever you want. So were these uh, competitions just within Israel or were they international? Were you in the Olympics? No, no, no. Uh, they were within Israel. We did some international stuff. Yeah. It wasn't like very, very not Olympics level. Israel is not that uh, strong in the gymnastics, even though the last few years they're getting stronger, actually. Mm. Uh, they, and at the time, they, they were just building their, their repertoire. Mm. It makes sense. So how long did you compete for and what happened after you um, stopped competing? Around five years. When I stopped competing, I think at one point I was just sick of it. I think I fell very badly at some point mm. and i think that was like the turning point of of saying like okay i'm done with this and people mm -hmm. were telling me i'm not gonna grow i'm gonna be short <laughs> and i remember <laughs> like be being a teenager and i was like oh my god are my boobs gonna come in <laughs> mm. <laughs> and thinking all of that because gymnastics really changes your body and uh, i was uh, yeah i can imagine with all of the rolling and the tumbling and the flexibility and then i can yeah. imagine the even the nutrition to stay yeah. a certain weight and all that kind of stuff you know yeah well, i never thank god i never had a problem with that so i could eat whatever i wanted but i but but yeah it was definitely you're very muscular and you're and you're you're you have to be a machine basically mm. but uh yeah at some point i think it was just like one moment that i said okay i'm done Mm -hmm. and also it was around the time i was i was uh coming to the u.s so it gave me like a fresh start and i at some point got back into dancing mm -hmm. what was the draw to come to the u.s it wasn't my uh, decision actually uh, my parents decided to to come mm -hmm. and i for just school for work or better life because i think you bounce between be both now yeah my i think my dad had a startup uh, in the US and then he was flying back and forth a lot. And I think that at the end of the decision was to go and support him. And mm. so he doesn't have to fly a few times a month. I got you. And so is that how you ended up in LA or did you move somewhere else in the US first? No, just straight to LA. And then at some point, uh, my brothers and sisters uh, went back to Israel and I stayed because I started I was auditioning for certain things and I got in and mm -hmm. so I just, and so I just stayed and I was doing more like, um, modern at the time mm -hmm. and I was really into that. So I was also getting my, my degree, uh, in psychology and dance mm -hmm. and, uh, and yeah, I was really into modern and I, and I was auditioning for things and I, I had a, even my own company for a little bit and we were doing some shows. So yeah, it was like another lifetime ago. I feel like <laughs> mm, I <laughs> another another part of my uh, my my lives. Mm -hmm. I get you. And as you were like becoming, I guess, uh, a teenager in your adolescence and and moving into becoming older through the gymnastics, was that like an income stream at any given point, or was it all the gymnastics? No. But as no, you no, no. and and then what about the modern? And when you moved to LA and started to like audition and things yeah. like that. Yeah, then it was, I think from age 19, 18, something like that, I was starting to make money from dance. I gotcha. And what made you choose a psychology to study in school? That's a funny story, actually. <laughs> um, I, I was interested in it. to share the story. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was interested in it, but I, um, I wanted to study dance. Uh, but basically, uh, my dad said he would, uh, he would help me up out with the university only if I, if only if I studied something else also. Mm. Well, he said only if you study something else. And I said, well, I'm going to do both. So I, I kind of, I did the two degrees. I got you. And I kind of like, that was my, like, I'm going to show him. <laughs> mm. I got you. 
So you didn't have like an overall game plan of like how to use your psychology degree or like how to be a therapist or anything like that because you were. I did have the idea. I, I thought maybe I would do like movement therapy at some point. I, I, I really didn't believe that I was going to make my life as a, as a dancer because that's what I was brought up to believe that this is not a profession. Mm. So, so I was just, I was really believing that I was going to be a psychologist, but I also I wanted you. to dance. So I was doing my other degree, but I, I didn't really think that I was going to live my life from dance at that mm. time when I was 18, I you. you know? So what happened in your twenties, early twenties to late twenties? I guess you were dancing more modern and these are all solo dances. So yeah. how long did it take for you to get introduced to partner dancing? So I think about 19, I, I got introduced to salsa. I had friends being that were- Being in LA, that makes sense. Yeah, being in LA and I had friends that were like competitive salsa and they were doing all the competition and at the Mayan. Do you remember that those days? Mm-hmm. There were the Mayan competitions. So I had a lot of friends doing that and they were like world champions. So they were showing me things. Mm-hmm. And then not, not shortly after that, I, I went to backpack in South America. I kind of took a break from my studies. Mm-hmm. And I went to backpack for about seven, eight months in South America. Mm-hmm. And uh, there, that's when I, when I saw Zook actually for the first time. Because you were in randomly. Brazil. So you, randomly. Tell us the story. Randomly. So every, every place I backpacked to, I went to everywhere. Chile, uh, Argentina, Brazil, and Colombia, and Peru, and Bolivia. And every country, I kind of made a point to go and see what was going on in the studios and study the, the local dances. And actually, what I was coming to Brazil for is to um, study Silvestre technique, which is a technique from Salvador that uh, combines Orisha. So I was really into the Afro-Brazilian culture. Mm-hmm. And I was studying that in LA because there were some people teaching that. And um, I, so when I got to Brazil, I was really into learning all the Orisha and the Afro-Brazilian dances. And I was in this island, Ariel uh, da Juda and Porto Seguro, which is now I know where, where actually Lambada started. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't know at the time. And I was just there exploring. And I would go into the studio at the, in the island, which was a small studio with no air conditioning. And the whole island would come and look through the windows. And, and I was studying Afro-Brazilian. And then after class one day, they told me, hey, you should stay for the party. And I said, what party? And they said, oh, it's Zook. And I said, what's Zook? And, and they're like, just stay. So I stayed. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember like that moment, I saw a little girl, she was 10 years old. Mm-hmm. She was wearing like a white Lambada skirt. And she was dancing with this guy. And everything was like going in slow motion for me, mm. you know, and I was like, this is it. Like, this is what I was made for. And then that's it. It was like love at first sight. And I told all my friends to leave, continue without me and that I'm going to stay in this island and study this dance. And so I stayed uh, for about a month or two months more in Brazil. Mm-hmm. And I studied, but, and then I, when I came back eventually to the US, I realized it didn't exist here. And that's mm. where the whole like quest started to bring it here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember because Kizomba and Zook uh, kind of both, I guess, got its start through like the Latin events, you know, yeah. um, to get its way going. But like it was kind of the same thing of like with Kizomba around, I want to say 2012, 2013. There really yeah. wasn't a lot of it, but that's when you started to like get glimpses of it here and there. Yeah, that's when we started pushing it uh, here in LA. I was working with Evo, and 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 then that's when we. Th- I think I met him in 2012. Mm-hmm. But the Zook, the Zook, what I saw in Brazil, that this is 2005. I got you. Oh wow! So this yeah. was like way back. Yeah, this is this is like yeah. I'm eight. So what happened between (laughs) (laughs) what happened between uh, 2005 and 2012? That's seven years. Yeah. um, So 2005, six, I was traveling, and then Mm -hmm. I came back, and I I was like really loving this dance, and I was like, where can I find it? And there was no YouTube was just starting, Facebook was non-existent. It was so hard to find any information about anything. So I basically, I, I kept searching and I, I waited for about two years. I was searching everywhere. 
And then I found um, some workshops in Europe and I went and studied. And then also they, I saw a workshop in San Diego of some lady that came from Argentina. And I went there. And then she told me she was doing a month-long intensive in Israel. Mm. And I said, okay, I'm coming. So I went to Israel and I did the intensive there. And after the intensive, I told her, listen, I am not living without this. There is no way. You're coming to my house. I had a studio inside my house at the time. You're coming to my house. Live with me. I'll organize workshops from all the dancers that I know from modern. And you just teach me. That'll be a trade. Just teach me every day. And then she said, okay. <laughs> and who was this? This is Mari Hodges. Okay. So she, she moved to Argentina. She was living in Argentina for about 10 years and she studied with Jilson. Jilson mm -hmm. moved to Argentina in the late 90s and he started a scene there uh, of Lambazook. And then she was doing workshops in different places. And she was uh, very, very, as Jilson is very accurate on technique. And I was very, very lucky to start like that. Very, like get very good technique. Because in Brazil, no one to told you anything at that time, you know? Brazil was mm. like, just do it. Okay, like this. Feel it? Good. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's it. I didn't get any instructions, actually. <laughs> All I got was, no, no, yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. Okay. Uh, so you trained you, with, yeah. uh, with Marie. Uh, how long did that last? And what happened after she left? I don't know if that was, maybe that was around two months. After she left, it started like spreading the rumor that I'm doing this, that I'm hosting people. So another uh, person came. I think it was someone from Israel this time. Yeah. And... So another person came from Israel and they, they taught and they stayed also a month. And then another person came from Argentina and they also stayed for a month. And after that, they, were, they told me like, now you need to teach. And when I was training, I wasn't training just to be a follow. They were training me to be a lead because mm -hmm. they said that there can't be anything. I can't teach if I don't know how to lead, which I was very upset about because I, I just wanted to follow. Mm. You know, I wasn't planning on having a scene. I wasn't, that wasn't my sure. intention is to teach. My intention was just to dance and I just wanted to dance. But they were like, how are you going to dance if you can't teach anyone to dance with you? <laughs> you know? So I was like, oh, fine. I'll just learn this to teach one person. But at the end, mm -hmm. it ended up a necessity to have classes. And so I started teaching classes and, and yeah, I started by myself. I think it was like 2009 when I started teaching in LA. In LA. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, opened my first classes and, and yeah, it was 2009. Yeah. And it started very small and slowly grew. And then we had a team and that was the first team. Well, actually, I thought, I, so it was really funny because I thought I was the first person in the, in the US to have a team mm -hmm. and to, to do classes. But I didn't know that at the same time, because we have no connection with anyone For it's sure. not so online like, like it was bubbles. you know exactly so i didn't know that in new york at the same time was the same thing happening i later only actually recently i talked to kim rotier in new york and i realized that it was happening at the same time but i had no mm. idea and actually the first person in the u.s to teach zook was Aochan, that he's actually a japanese teacher that opened a school in new york in 2006 i think Oh, wow. Yeah. And so he was teaching all the Brazilian dances, samba and zouk and bolero. And I think he was Foro. teaching all of them. Yeah. For her. So, so that was happening. And I met him later when I came to Japan, but I didn't know either that happened. So in my, I thought I was the only one doing it, but apparently mm. there were others at the same time. But still, yeah, I think in the West Coast, I was the only one. For sure. It's very interesting because like you're talking about 2009 yeah and separate yeah. bubbles of zoo coming to north america no social media no youtube so it's kind of isolated you know but now let's rewind 50 years 20 years you know like all these dancers are growing and dancers are traveling and sharing knowledge but then it's like you don't know who's meeting who or when or the schools yeah, the teachers no it's idea. all very uh separate you know yeah yeah, everything was just happening. It's kind of like they say sometimes language happens at 
two countries at the same time, like the development of a certain language or, mm. or a certain dance. So it was funny because I think at the same time that Lambada was going into zoo in Spain, also on in the islands of Spain, also the 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 dance was going from Lambada into Zouk at the same time. And there was another style of Zouk uh, that was formed and no, they thought they were the first one. And then, you know, it's really funny, but it all happened at the same time and it looked all pretty similar. So it's very interesting. Mm, it's like a universal hive mind that's like disconnected, but like everybody's kind of like operating on the same wavelength, you exactly. know, a little bit. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so that was kind of the the thing. And I remember like everyone told me, don't have any expectations to grow a scene here. You know, it's not easy. Don't expect anything. And I was like, okay, let's see, you know. But yeah, the, it took a long time. It took a long time to like shape it in a way where people accepted it also. Mm. Um, because in the beginning, when you market it as Lambada, every, all the Americans were saying like, oh, the forbidden dance, the forbidden dance, <laughs> it's too sexy, you know, and bachata didn't, bachata wasn't that sexy then, you know, so no, it, it was the sexiest thing they've ever seen, you know, and they were like, <laughs> what is this, <laughs> you know, so Americans weren't, I feel like they weren't ready for that amount of like closeness and sexiness. So it took a long time to like. Uh, have them accept that and market it in a certain way that people accepted it. But I was lucky that I had people believe in it, certain festival organizers mm. that that believed in it and and helped promote it. So yeah, it was it was it was I was lucky, you know, there was a lot of kind of like fighting to get it started, but once it got started like I I was flying to festivals, salsa and bachata festivals in the beginning to mm -hmm. show it. And in the beginning, like no one knew, no one came, like it was, people were in shock from what is this? I can imagine. And, yeah, and by, I think by, by 2012, there was, um, people were starting to accept and Kizomba was starting to come out. Mm -hmm. And so there was, and they were big enemies, Zook and Kizomba, the biggest enemies. <laughs> <laughs> And then I met Evo and then we were both on the dance floor. I remember it at the uh, San Francisco Bachata Festival in 2012. Mm -hmm. And I was teaching with uh, someone else and he was teaching by himself. And we were on, they gave us the same party room, right? Like somewhere mm -hmm. in, the, in the dungeon, in the corner, in the dark corner <laughs> of the festival. Exactly. <laughs> they with put the us cobwebs and the dust. Mm -hmm. <laughs> with the cobwebs. There's still like mm -hmm. a cleaning person cleaning at night. <laughs> but... <laughs> So there I saw them and, and I remember we were dancing and I saw him and a few more people doing Kizomba and I was like, what is this? What are they doing to our music? Like, why are they walking? Like, <laughs> they don't mm -hmm. understand. And because it's so funny, we were dancing to Semba and Kizomba mm. for so long and we had no idea that we were dancing to these other dances. Like... Mm -hmm. We knew Zook was another dance, but we've never seen it. We didn't know which one was Zook and which one was Kizomba. We did not know what Kizomba looked like. And we did not even know we were dancing to Samba half the time. And we mm. weren't. <laughs> so after yeah, I met Evo, actually, I, I realized that I, all these styles I was dancing to that I had no idea. Yeah, it's interesting because usually when you say, um, I made a video about this, it's like, oh, I'm dancing salsa. And one would assume, okay, the person is dancing salsa to salsa music, you know? But when you start to look at the, the history and the origins of these partner dances, it could be, hey, I'm dancing salsa to uh, bolero. I'm dancing salsa to hip hop music or salsa to uh, rap. Like the, you have to be very um, specific about, are you talking about salsa the music or salsa the dance? And so now we put this under the scope of the Kizomba and Zook umbrella. Now things get so switched up. It's like, are you dancing Zook to Kizomba music or are you dancing Kizomba to Zook music? And it just really gets <laughs> very confusing to define which music style is what and then also which dance style is what. And is, is this yeah. Kizomba to Kizomba and Brazilian Zook to Zook? Um, and then what's Lambada and then... Caribbean Zook is oh also a God. thing versus Brazilian Zook. It's it's a rich yeah. history. At least now it has names, but before I'm talking about like 2009 or 2006, 
everyone was calling it the same thing, but totally different styles. So <laughs> we were calling, we were calling Zouk Lambada. Mm -hmm. And so to, to what we call today, Lamba Zouk or Lambada, we were calling it Zouk Lambada. At the same time in Australia, Larissa and Kadu are calling it Zouk Lambada and they're dancing a totally different style. Mm -hmm. So it's like, a, you know, at some point came out of YouTube and then we were like, what are they doing? What is this? Zouk Lambada? <laughs> and then, <laughs> you know, and then at some point, uh, I remember Jilson had a meeting with everyone and he said, now we're calling it Lamba Zouk. So it's not like mixed. I don't mm -hmm. know. And then we started calling it Lamba Zouk and then they changed the names again. Then it was Brazilian Zouk. So it, I've been through all of the names. It's, I think it's just yeah. funny. <laughs> but it it's took a long time to get to Brazilian Zouk. It's, it's, it's very crazy uh, to get to Brazilian Zouk. And even in Kizomba, it's a moving target. You know, it's not something that's really stationary. Um, and then you have yeah. to talk about I the was there that for that argument. Like <laughs> <laughs> the urban kids, the urban kids. I was there on the first day that that happened. I was with uh, Enna and it was mm -hmm. in uh, D.C. It mm -hmm. was in D.C. And I remember he's like, they're trying to make it call something else what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And I remember that that dilemma that he had. And then he he just decided to call it something else. So Some people don't even like the urban kids name. I remember I didn't like it at the time. I told him mm -hmm. he did a mistake. But actually, now I think he was the, he did the right thing. Mm -hmm. But but it, at the time, I was like, why? Why are you letting them win? <laughs> just call it Kizomba. <laughs> I mean, essentially, you know? it is the Kizomba umbrella. You know, like if you go to it a is. kid's party, you could hear a lot of different things, you know. Um, it's yeah. interesting. It's still a moving target. Uh, and then I'm not sure if you've heard about uh, recently in the in the solo dance uh, realm, they don't like using the word urban anymore. So a lot of I the heard. people started uh, just calling their styles movement because they don't want the um, the the word urban to like be like um offensive to the african american <laughs> community you know it's so funny because urban kids is going to become shorter and shorter it's like they don't even say kizomba now they're not going to say urban they're just going to call urban kids <laughs> uh-huh it's crazy um there's not yeah, going to be the, any the, name left at the end it's going to be crazy to see how it all it's interesting <laughs> now because we're like on a pause, um, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens as things start to to get back to the way they were, you know? Yeah, I don't know. Let's see if it comes back when it comes back. Mm -hmm. uh, talk to us a little bit about L.A. Zook. L.A. Zook. Yeah. OK, so this is also 2012. So I was talking to organizers and. I was saying like the, all the organizers were telling me like, you can't do a festival because you don't have enough people in the US and there's no way you have to combine it with bachata. You have to combine it with salsa or it's never going to work. Mm -hmm. And that made me more determined. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you'll see. And then I was actually talking to one of my students and it was Joe. I was actually Joe Sandoval. He was one of my students at the time. And I was talking to him and I was like, I want to do something, but I don't know how, you know, and and then we said, why don't we do, um, oh, I forgot what it's called, when you raise funds. Uh, like a fundraiser. No, but online. Oh, like a, um, like a crowdfunding type thing? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we did that. There was the only one at the time. There was only one of them. Uh, was it the and GoFundMe? No, that, that was later. Kickstarter? The other one. Yes. Okay. Kickstarter. So it was the Kickstarter and we said, okay, let's try and raise the money and see like who's gonna who's gonna be up. And so we made a video like how much we love Zook and we would love like everyone's support and we're trying to get the first festival in the US going and like even if someone buys a shirt that helps and we needed ten thousand dollars. I uh, for for sure did not have ten thousand dollars. I've never even mm -hmm. dealt with these kind of like amounts, you know. I've never made a festival, mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, we need ten thousand dollars. Let's see what happens. So we made this video saying like, you know, what Zook means to us, and like, and I started spreading it all over the world to all the Zookers. And this sounds familiar. Yeah, it was uh, yeah, two thousand twelve, and within three days we reached ten thousand dollars. Wow. Everyone helped. Everyone came to support. Like we had no idea even what we started until until it happened because I, I had no idea that so many people would be into it. But everyone came to support from all over the US and Europe. People just bought shirts to help us mm. or just bought tickets to help us. 
and yeah, we reached the goal very fast. And um, then um, it was decided like on the Queen Mary, I wanted something that's not in a hotel. Mm -hmm. I was like, I can't do, I was, I was doing so many festivals that I was like, I can't do one more festival in a hotel. I want it to be something different. Mm -hmm. And then the Queen Mary and I went to, to sign the contract. And I remember that <laughs> I was like, you know, I was pretty young, you know, 20 something. Mm -hmm. And I never dealt with these amounts of money. And I remember signing like a 40 or $50,000 contract with them. And I was like, yeah. swallowing, <laughs> swallowing my spit, like, <laughs> Okay, I hope this works because I don't. Want <laughs> you know, I wasn't this wealthy investor like you know the bachata exactly. or the salsa world. Or I, I literally knew nothing about what I was doing. N nothing. I just did it, and then we'll figure it out as we're doing it. But we, I had no idea. I really had no idea what I was doing, especially the first year. <laughs> mm -hmm. But the first year was the most incredible. Like it was the first time. The whole scene came together from the U.S. and Canada. We've never seen each other. Think about that. Mm. Like we've never seen. There was never anything that we all met. Makes sense. So it was a it was a beautiful event because we all of a sudden we filled the room with us. You know, no, like all the zookers, other dancers, uh, music just for the zook, all that kind of stuff. You know, yeah. Yeah, it was all us with DJs that came and I brought people from Europe and I brought people from Brazil. And it was like so incredible. The energy was amazing. Like there was one time, I mean, of course, many screw ups happened. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we were in the like the engine room of the ship. It was very dangerous. I don't even know how they let us be there. Mm -hmm. But but there were at some point on saturday night before the shows someone pulled the fire alarm uh-oh <laughs> and we all had to evacuate the ship in the middle of the party before the shows all the teachers from brazil are with their costumes on Kadu wow. and larissa everyone looking at me like I angry you know and i was like oh no what am i gonna do like everyone's gonna be like remembering this blah, blah blah and i was panicking and then all of a sudden someone started like bah, 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 like the clapping <laughs> mm -hmm. and everyone started clapping and we literally had a social with the clapping for two hours like that and high energies and everyone was happy that's crazy and like i'll never forget that moment like it, how united we were how happy everyone was to be together for the first time you know it was so beautiful that's awesome yeah it was definitely an accomplishment for the for the for the scene and then that's it second later it opened the door you know like months later mm -hmm. we already had three more festivals because mm -hmm. everyone wanted for all sure. of a sudden to, to do a festival and they saw that it was possible mm -hmm. they saw that people wanted this you know but before that no one dared to do it and no and I think like no one would have done it if there was not like one bold step to like try it, you know? Yeah, it makes sense. And it's interesting because once one festival starts, it gives the uh, credibility to other or the confidence to others to start, you know? But sure. I, I remember sure. like in 2019, there's like a Brazilian instructor couple here, like maybe every month uh, that was flying in and yeah. out to come do workshops and intensives and all that kind of stuff. And even some Brazilians have moved here now. To, to help build the scene. For so sure. it's interesting to see uh, how it started. And then obviously before the pandemic, how it was uh, operating, you know? It's insane. I, I always tell my students how spoiled they are when mm. they tell me, I don't want to go to a social in Long Beach. I'm like, guys, we used to go. The only socials in the beginning were at my house. <laughs> and if I didn't have a social at my house, there would be no social in LA. People would drive for the social at my house. I'm not kidding from San Diego, from Sacramento, from San Francisco wow. to come to a social at my house. Also, there was at some point, there was one club in San Diego that played Zook for two hours on Saturdays. Mm. And we would drive in a car from LA for two hours to San Diego and come back on the same night, just because that was the only place to go and dance. Wow. So it's like, they're so spoiled now. <laughs> mm -hmm. they it's like it's like the old people that say like we used to walk in the snow to school. <laughs> That's how I feel. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. Um, twenty twenty. We really did. <laughs> twenty twenty would have been what year for you for LA Zook? Uh, sixth, mm. seventh, seventh, seventh. I got gotcha. you. It would have been the sixth year for Eighth? my Neil Kiss Festival. Eighth, maybe. Wait, yeah, n no, ninth. Ninth? The ninth. I don't know. 
So you're getting close to the 10 year anniversary then. Yeah. Yeah. I had in 2019, my 10 year anniversary of teaching mm-hmm. uh, Zook. So that was, we did the retreat in, in Big Bear. Mm. And that was amazing. That's awesome. So yes, that's sure. awesome to hear about the story of how LA Zook started. Uh, I'm not sure how many people are aware of that, but this is the cool format with the podcast where we can kind of like talk about these things and have people realize the beginnings of Zook. And I remember at the Canada Zoo Congress, you were one of the uh, women that Darius uh, called for being one of the pioneers of Brazilian Zook in the U.S. And that was really cool to yeah. see because I'm a kids guy, you know, so I'm just like <laughs> infiltrated the Zook lines and just kind of like seeing uh, how you guys operate and like the acknowledgement and all that kind of stuff. And it was also really cool for me to see like Renata and Jaime dance to old school ghetto Zook. Because like for me as a kid's dance, I'm like, ah, like Nusa and Samo Ralph. Yeah. And like these things inspire yeah, nostalgia for me. Yeah. And to see the same nostalgia and happiness, but in another dance style was very interesting to, to see. And it was really awesome to witness. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I saw that a lot when I got into Kizomba, like many old school kizomba and i was like wow that's old school for me too <laughs> but mm. i had no idea that you know another another dance but yeah I, I mean it was really an honor um and i really thank darius for honoring and especially like putting some emphasis on the women in zook mm-hmm. because really there's many pioneers and most of them actually are women in zook and they're not recognized for for a long long time because i remember when i was starting like no one allowed me also to teach regular classes they wanted me i remember the first congress i went in spain mm-hmm. they asked if i could teach a lady styling and i said no i'm going to teach a regular class mm. because they were just not it just wasn't accepted and it just wasn't accepted being without a partner also for a very very long time mm. and i'm really happy to see that it's changed a lot it's changed a lot especially in the us you could really see that the change mm. and i'm proud that we're on the forefront of that uh but it, it was a lot of let's say blood sweat and tears <laughs> to be sure. you know a female with no partner starting a dance that no one knew what it looked like so and imagine convincing people to dance a dance that i could hardly show with someone because no one was as good as me yet so i was dancing with beginners all the time you know so it's very like i had to have a lot of passion to convince people to dance a dance that they couldn't see yet Mm -hmm. it makes sense with that knowledge of how you started before solo and now you're not in the partnership with evo anymore and you've been traveling and like Mm -hmm. doing your thing solo um how has that been like as a solo female artist getting booked organizing all that kind of thing it's not easy but Mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure like there's I guess some confidence and some peace knowing the 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 journey that you've had so far you know yeah i I mean the beginning was i think i was more scared in the beginning i was saying like ah because it was kind of a time where they would hire only men i Mm -hmm. felt like men by themselves but not women by themselves so i said oh my god no one's gonna hire me but then i was very surprised i didn't i don't think i realized like the 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 name i created or or the image i had in people all i saw was like oh my god i'm just a woman who mm. who's going to hire me you know and then i was very surprised to get hired and in the beginning i kind of had to set my foot down because i was of course everyone wanted me to do lady styling and i had to say no because i wanted to build myself as that i could teach a class and that was hard in the beginning to get mm. accepted to do that you know people were like why don't you teach a ladies styling you know i said first i'm not teaching a lady styling i'll teach a ladies technique class which kind of also mm. wasn't really happening at the time and and um people really like that and then I, I i was saying like i'm i'm i i'm also gonna teach partner classes i'm not gonna only do a lady styling so if you want me you have to hire me for partner classes and and kind of putting my foot down there i think helped pave the way because it normalized seeing a woman by herself teaching a class for sure a regular class for partners, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that resonates with a lot of different women across multiple partner scenes, uh, partner dancers, I mean, you know? Uh, sure. The same thing is happening in Kiz, uh, Lindy Hop, Salsa, et cetera, et cetera. If you're able to teach both sides of the technique. Uh, and it's also, I think, puts pressure on the leads as well to like start to learn how to follow. Because if you're going to teach a class mm-hmm. by yourself, 
you should be able to speak and add value to both roles. Exactly. And that's why I think women are, are good at that because they, it gives a more even uh, kind of class when, when you have both sides. And now the, the leads have to learn how to also uh, enrich more the follow side if they're going to teach, you know, because before, before people were just teaching the leads. No one would even speak to the followers in the middle of class. Hardly. Mm -hmm. Maybe just do your hand like this. Very small <laughs> details. And, and I would get very mad because like, come on. Like, yeah, they need so to be talking. This, to they follow. need to get the class. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's also their class. It's not just teaching the lead how to do it and the followers will just follow. For sure, because they pay the same amount of money for a full pass. They're paying their flights, they're paying their hotel, they're doing everything that they're doing to be there yeah. and invest their time. They should get the same value, for sure. And it's just as much as technique. And I think slowly, the also everyone's teaching in general started uh, rising in quality um, mm. throughout the years, you know? So from 2009 to 2019, it's unbelievable how much uh, the teaching has changed in Zook, how, how much better quality is being taught. Now, you know, before, especially uh, from Brazil and everything and the way I was taught, like you just, no one was teaching with words, you know, hmm. now it's much more like uh, maybe westernized, I would say. I got you. I mean, you're really approaching it as a, as a pedagogy now, you know, exactly, body pedagogy, exactly. Uh, anatomy, um, your energy, different approaches, exactly. like a, a holistic, like a, not a holistic, but like a complete overview of like what it takes to, to progress. Definitely. You know? I would say a holistic. And, and yeah, and now, th now that's where your, your solo training comes in, mm -hmm. you know, all the anatomy, all the, uh, muscles, all everything. That's where that comes in, you know, for me in the teaching, mm -hmm. the discipline, the lines, the, the exact, uh, explanation, the weight, the amount of weight you put on each foot and the training to do these very hard things that we have to do in Zook with our bodies, mm -hmm. it all comes from uh, solo training. I hear you. That's awesome. That's really nice to see the change. And um, I guess we'll see what 2021 brings into 2022. But yeah, before we end the, the podcast here, I wanted to just give you an opportunity to uh, let people know how to reach you. And also, I know you've been doing some projects here, even though it's uh, in the middle of a pandemic and kind of give you a, <laughs> a platform to to promote that as well. Okay. Well, um, to reach me, uh, the best is through Facebook, Shani Meyer, uh, Shani Meyer 2, Shani Meyer Full, or the dance company, Shani Meyer Dance Company is the easiest. Or on Instagram, Shani Zook. And then what I'm doing right now in 2021, until it is more open in the US, I'm leading small retreats in Mexico, limited to 12 people. And it's um, not just a Zook retreat, it's really about healing um, body, mind and soul. So it's uh, exploring connection and healing through movement, um, healing through nature and healing through ceremonies. So we also have a shaman with us and it's a very beautiful experience, um, kind of experiencing a journey together as a small intimate group, as a family. And yes, it does have Zook, but it's not the main focus. Um, so it's a whole journey and it's in nature, in the jungle, and it's happening every month. Mm -hmm. It's called Awaken Retreat. And it's been a beautiful to see how people leave. Uh, it's a very beautiful journey together. And uh, of course, it has yoga and meditation. It's a complete like cleanse of body, mind, and soul. And if you're feeling called for that, a change in your life, um, something you feel stuck or just need to connect back into yourself or nature, then this is the great opportunity. And uh, yeah, so the website is uh, Awaken Movement. Net, mm -hmm. and we will have all the dates there or you can find it on facebook awaken retreat awesome i've seen some of the stories that you shared on instagram it's like ah i want to go swimming in the cenotes you know um uh, it's incredible it's i can imagine it's really <laughs> nice especially for some of the people in the north right now with the with the snow and everything that they have going on you know yeah yeah we've had we've had people from everywhere like come um, we've even had people from israel show up for this so mm. um 
it's really nice and the way we come in you know especially with the pandemic and everyone being so separate and uh, people feeling safe to like be together again and be human again and feeling what is this new humanity and what are we what do we want to create in our future um just gives you a good uh, container for that very safe container to explore yourself in this new reality that's awesome so i'll be sure to link your social media and the link of your events in the show notes so people can check that out on the website and neokizoma.com and our last thing here shiny for the podcast has been a really awesome conversation it's been awesome to learn more um, about your journey uh, i usually give our guests an awesome. opportunity to share some inspiration or an inspirational quote or whatever you feel kind of like flowing in your spirit now to close out the podcast mm, inspiration well, I just want to send a lot of love for all everyone uh, in the Zook scene and the dance scene in general that have been like kind of going through this hard 2020, just sending a lot of love, sending support and being thankful for whoever's supporting people online. I had a lot of support online from a lot of students around the world, and I'm so, so thankful for that and sending a lot of love to all the professionals that have kind of morphed through this very hard change and found ways to teach online and very good classes online that are happening right now and i also should go back to my online classes mm -hmm. but also i had the opportunity to teach many classes online and and i felt really supported felt really that the scene is really alive still and kicking and i'm sure we will get through this and we will dance again so sending a lot of love to everyone and and a lot of uh, gratitude for all the students that have been supporting and, um, you know, just proud of the scene for what they're doing right now and still going through and doing their solo training. So, yeah, just sending yeah, a lot of gratitude awesome. and love. Mm -hmm. A nice message. All right, Shani. Well, <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Thanks for taking some time out of your morning to speak with me and to do the podcast. Sure. And it was awesome to chat with you a little bit. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for checking out the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast today. Be sure to check out neokizomba.com for links to everything that we chatted about today, as well as some awesome free resources to enhance your Kizomba journey.